Welcome to Career Talks. I'm your host, Wes. And I'm Megs. And we'd like to welcome you to our podcast. In this series, we're really excited to talk with some of our exceptional leaders from across the SourceRite and Enterprise Group. And we're going to be bringing you the best from across the globe. That's right. We're on a mission to figure out how they got there. What do their career paths look like? What's their best career advice? And what struggles do they overcome along the way? Oh, and get this. We're also going to be asking for their favorite business book recommendations, and we'll be hearing why they think this should be on your next read. So get ready to be inspired. And start developing towards your next career move today. Welcome to Career Talks. Welcome everyone to the very first episode of what is sure to become your favorite new podcast, Career Talks. Megan and I are so excited to be launching this new series, and we are perhaps even more excited to be introducing our very first guest, the one, the only, Rebecca Henderson. Rebecca is the CEO of Global Businesses and one of two women on the Randstad Executive Board. Welcome to the show, Rebecca. Thanks, Wes. I'm super excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're super excited to have you. Very excited for our first one as well. So uh, It's going to go viral, guys. Global domination. That's the aim. <laughs> I like that. And then I, you know what I, I, I think we should do is I'm sure you'll have others after me. It won't nearly be as fun. And then, you know, I don't know if you can register how many listeners, but we'll have to have like a bit of a competition. Yeah, to see who got the most people. Yeah, I want to be like Joe Rogan stats. (laughs) So the intention, Rebecca, of this podcast is to be able to inspire people to think of their next step and also to give them some tangible tips around how they can start planning themselves their career. So I guess, first of all, we, I think we all want to know, how did you get here? How do I become global CEO? I feel like that's a big question in this situation. (laughs) It is a big question, you know, and a a lot of people have asked me that through the years. I used to be um, maybe just not as forthright in my answer uh, because I probably because I lack confidence. And I used to say by accident. But now if I hear people say that, I don't, I don't like that answer at all because I don't think you achieve, um, you know, a great step in your career by accident. I think it's a, a lot of hard work, you know, but I think it really starts with your ability to believe that you are capable and the confidence to make, not only make decisions and stick to them, but the confidence to fail and be okay with that. And I know for me in particular, and for all the you that are parents out there, my dad used to tell me, uh, he still does, he's 87 years old, he still says it, you can do anything. He calls me Beck and he says, you can do anything, Beck. And I really grew up believing that. And he used to tell me that all the time. And I think at the end of the day, Wes and Megan, I, I had the confidence to fail. And that meant I would try um, a new job. I would try a new industry. Um, I would go for a project I wasn't exactly sure I was qualified for. And I would do it anyway because I, I felt comfortable with failing. And um, so if you ask me how I got here today, you know, I, I wasn't afraid to try new things and I would jump in where I was uncomfortable. And uh, I think that made me a stronger leader. Question on that. That's actually probably two areas that I would want to delve into. You, you mentioned that you weren't afraid to fail. Do you think you, that's always been like an inherent 
trait, I guess, within you? Or is that something you've had to work on and develop? Uh, no, look, I had to develop it for sure. And, you know, I definitely grew up in a safe environment, right? And I knew that my family was, you know, always there for me. But at the end of the day, you have to rely on yourself. So I think that first step, you know, maybe that's a bit inherent because I was, I, I was brave enough to take the first step. But the rest of it's a muscle, Megan. If you, you have to keep doing it. Uh, and you have to go out there and you have to see that failure doesn't mean it's over. It, it's a learning. And um, the minute you can accept that, that, you know, it's what have you learned? It's not what went wrong there, but it's what you've learned. When you accept that, you're willing to do it again. And the more you do it, the better you get at it. And, you know, I, I say this to people who come to work for me now, a new, new person that would be working directly for me. I always describe myself as the following is I will make 10 decisions super fast because I'm just, I'm quick that way. And I want to make decisions quickly and I will always get one or two wrong. I just know that. Um, but at least I've made, you know, eight or nine that went right. And I clean up the last one really fast. Right. So the the one I know I'm going to get wrong. As soon as I figure out that we've got that wrong, I clean it up quickly. And that is, um, kind of how I've worked through it throughout the years. I just have accepted, right? I'm a quick decision maker. I have enough experience. I'll get a lot of them right. I'll get some wrong because we all do. And that's perfectly fine. Um, and I'm vocal about that. And I talk about that. And I hope that creates an environment for others to know uh, that it's okay to experiment and innovate and learn from not getting it exactly, exactly right. But I think you got to work at it. And it's, you know, comes down to um, experience and, and knowing you can overcome the bad parts. How do you think that your previous leaders would describe you? Um, I think that, you know, some some people have uh, taken my confidence in failing fast as fearless. So I've, I've heard people use that word to describe me. I, you know, that's a big compliment. I don't think that's always true, but it's nice that it's portrayed. At least I'm pulling it off half the time. That's half the battle. Uh, I think most people would also have described me as fair and open uh, with a bit of humility, but enough confidence to, you know, push that aside when necessary to make the tough decision. I'm curious around your role on the executive board. I just, because I think it's such a mystery to us. I picture you like working in a bunker in Amsterdam. I don't, what is it like to be a woman on the executive board? You know, Wes, that when I used to think of it as a mystery too. In fact, in my previous roles, I had presented from time to time uh, to the executive board and I would buy a new suit and I'd fly to Amsterdam and I'd prepare for days and I'd rehearse every slide and I'd be waiting for Robert Yon's really, really tough question. And then I, you know, and I would walk away and I, you know, judge my performance based on that. And I got to know some of the supervisory board members. I worked for Linda and I realized, oh, okay, that's not so bad. And so then when I became part of the supervisory board, I remember saying to myself, okay, I want to be a part of the group of people that changed that image a little bit because I think it feels too secretive that, you know, the six people who are responsible for the company and its growth and development of, of the people. And, 
And I can tell you, you know, wholeheartedly, that's the top of mind for the six of us all the time is the 38,000 people who work here, make their careers here. And you know what? It's not as super secret as you think. We have a WhatsApp group. Uh, we share, you know, pictures of each other's pets. You know, right now, Jacques' dog is made several appearances on our on our WhatsApp group. We talk over the weekends. We celebrate each other's birthdays. Uh, and and it's a group of people who really, you know, um, respect and admire each other for what we bring to the table. We have really good debates uh, about, you know, what to do. We always don't know what to do. You know, we, we don't have all the answers. We really rely on the on the people of Ronstadt um, to provide feedback and, you know, and to let, make sure they know, let us know what we need. But you know, I think we're also a very committed group of individuals who are very proud of our 60-year heritage and culture uh, and are focused on seeing it continue. But it's not, you know, it's not the black box that everybody yeah. really thinks It's it so is. nice yeah. to know that you're all human. And I guess inquiring minds want to know, how do we get on that WhatsApp? Oh, God. <laughs> I want to see some dog pictures. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you've got Yeah, you guys should invite Jack because then there could be a real competition He'll think he'll get more people to his podcast. And he probably could because his new dog is pretty cute, yeah. Sam. Um, and I'm sure he'll he'll want to show a picture. So my question, and that's uh, Rebecca as well, is, and this is maybe a bit of personal curiosity, I'll be honest, but does it ever feel surreal? Like uh, you said that you were looking at, um, when you first joined, you were kind of saying, oh, how do you get into the EB, thinking they're in this secret room? And now you're kind of going, oh, actually, people are looking at me for that. And also that thought of kind of going, well, there's 40,000 people that kind of look to you um, for, for security, I guess, in, in terms of safety of the business. For, you know, for sure. I don't I don't take anything for granted there. And um I, I just take the health and safety of our employees, every single one of them, whether they're under my responsibility directly or not, super seriously. I do remember the first the, on my very first day, Megan, what Jacques said to me, you know, before COVID, I, I was in the in demon pretty regularly, you know, every mm-hmm. month, just about. So on my first day, I, I came in to, and I went up to the 10th floor where Jack and Henry and Chris, everybody sit and, um, I said hello and, you know, I, I already knew everyone. And um, I said, then I started to leave and Jack said, where are you going? I said, oh, I'm going back down to the first floor with all the source right people. and want to like hang out with my folks. And he looked at me and he said, all the floors are your floor, are your floors now. And I still remember that. It was two years ago. I really still very, very vividly remember that he was sort of reminding me. Uh, I was still thinking kind of small, and he was reminding me of what my real responsibilities were. And, you know, I still, you know, you still have to remind yourself, right, particularly when you grew up in the business. I know Jack has the same challenges sometimes, right? When you grow up in the business and you're part of the culture and you're part of your teams uh, and you have to remember that you have a, a, a broader responsibility. Uh, yeah. So, you know, and sometimes it's fun to be able to, you know, I have a, a six-year-old granddaughter who's just, you know, my my little pride and joy. Um, but I, so I do admit every time I do a fun video on on the news or something like that, 
I send it to her. So my my big mission in life is to impress Enza with a video of uh, being on the news. And she goes around, tells her little friends that my Noni was on the news today. <laughs> well, now you get to be on a podcast. Exactly. That's my, I tell you, that's my ambition is impressing the six-year-old. Well, then we might have to branch out and start looking at TikTok dances, I think. Oh, Maybe oh I have a few of those too. You have a my TikTok husband, we had, video? We had TikTok oh, during COVID, you know, like everyone else, I'm sure. We've had uh, did, did Zoom calls, family Zoom calls every week. And we, my husband and I have four children, grown children between us and three grandkids. And so we would, you know, have a taco challenge or a cocktail challenge. We made pretzels. And then one time we had a TikTok challenge. So I appreciate it about you, Rebecca. You're so relatable. And I've been told multiple times from people that, oh, we can just call Rebecca up on her cell phone. Where yeah. did you learn that quality? I don't know, Wes, you know, I uh, grew up with uh, two sisters. And uh, so there's three girls in my family. My father is a retired Marine. My mother is from Rome. My first language is actually Italian. It's not English because even though I was born here in the U.S., I uh, grew up with parents who only spoke Italian at home. So, you know, I grew, I grew, just grew up in a household that was really open, you know, just, I think it's that open sort of loving household and, uh, and you want to share it. So I've never really felt the need to put too much distance between me and everyone uh, on the team. And I think that's really important to create an environment where people feel really comfortable and then reaching out to their leader is a, it's a really big part of that. Going through your career, have you been very strategic as far as this is my next role, this is what I want, or do you find that the next role has always just sort of appeared? Yeah, I um, I have a maybe a little bit of a different philosophy than, than others on that. I never said I want to be the CEO of that or the head of this or the leader of that. And I, and that is by design, Wes, because I always felt that if I was too laser focused on a particular job or a particular title that I would miss something really cool along the way. Right. And that's why I was, I have like, I have FOMO, right. I have totally fear of missing out on what, you know, something fun or interesting and where I would learn something new. And I, I always knew that if I could learn something new, whether it was a new industry, like the staffing industry is a great example I'm, you know, 56 years old now. I joined when I was just about 40. So I had had a whole career in the software industry before I joined the staffing industry. So for me, it was way more important to prove to myself that I could learn a new industry, you know, at 40 years old than it was, you know, gosh, if I left the software industry, I'm going to pass up an opportunity to have the next big job in in my company. So, um, yeah, I've, I've not... And I still, I still operate that way. I still, you know, it's about the work that I'm doing, the people that I'm engaging with, and am I making a meaningful impact? Those are the things that really, that I really value in a job. Going back to that, given that you have made those changes um, in industry and some quite big uh, changes also, even within our business, if you look at where you, the different business areas that you've moved across, is there some or a pivotal part of that that really stands out where you go, that's, I don't know, like a learning moment or just something that kind of resonates that you keep kind of clocking back to as being 
that catalyst or turn moment? Uh, there's probably more than a couple because I'm I'm getting up there in my age now. So <laughs> the older you get, the more of those you have. But when I was young in my career, I worked for a bank and I was on a management training program. And I had to do, I want to say it was a Myers-Briggs test, but I had to give it to my colleagues and they had to basically circle these adjectives that describe you, right? And mm-hmm. then you got back this report. I think I was like 27 years old. And I, you know, I was married very young. I already had two children. They were seven and five by that time. And I got this report back that basically said that I would step on my own mother to move ahead or to get something done. And oh I was mortified. I couldn't believe that that's how I was perceived. And, you know, I'm, I think I made a really classic mistake, Megan, that a lot of young women made. I thought I had to act a certain way. Right. And I was, I was probably, you know, overly confident, overly aggressive, and I probably didn't get good advice, you know, didn't have a good mentor. And I worked really hard to change that. This is the last way, the last thing I, I wanted to be perceived about. And I just kept thinking, you know, about my daughters, like, what would they have, you know, what would my mother have said if she read that, (laughs) you know? So I think that was pivotal. I really learned to work on inclusiveness and just the, the, the way I approached people and, and my colleagues and all of that. So I think that was super pivotal. I always, I still remember that still remember, I could see that report uh, in my mind's eye. And I think the second time I was older, um, it was later in my career, it was actually the, um, I had only been with Spherion, which is the company Ronstadt acquired just a year or two. And um, I had taken one job. And after a year, they had asked me to do something else. And I had agreed to do that. They actually collapsed my division and said, can you go run this, this mega deal team? So I had agreed to do that and I got kicked out of my first sales call with the famous Jane Legraney, who hopefully is listening, who taught me everything there is to know about the staffing industry. And um, she's she's runs sales for RSR North America now. And uh, I went back to my boss at the time and I said, you know, I don't think I'm the right fit for this job. And I said, I think I should leave. And I was going to go back into the software industry. Uh, Robert Morgan was my boss at the time. He has, he's moved on since. And he said to me, are you kidding? You need to teach us. I'm glad you got kicked out of that meeting. You need to teach us how to sell staffing as a solution. And you, you, you're going to have to teach us how to do that. And it's going to be painful. But I, I want you to stay and help us do that. And I think that was really pivotal because then at that time, you know, I was, I wasn't a loss of confidence at all. I was, you know, I knew I could go back to the industry I was in and I had a good time. I had no regrets, but I didn't think I could make a difference. And he reminded me that I could. And I sort of recalibrated my brain like, okay, I was going to come here and and make a difference this way. I knew really clear what that was going to be. And then it was, you know, it worked out really well because I wound up in the RPO business, which was more solutions oriented. It merged my software background with the services background and it, it became, it became a great match. So I think that those were, those were the two. So having, you know, in that example, having a really great boss who said, yeah, you're think about it differently. was really helpful. 
you mentioned then about you you think that maybe that first piece of feedback that you received that obviously um, impacted you quite a lot was possibly because you know the the thought process that as a woman maybe we need to act a certain way or we need to be perceived a certain way in order to I mean I hate to say this but compete you know in what sometimes can be perceived as a more male orientated are there any other situations because I'm sure and we know this our business is uh, I think we're over 50% female so there will be a lot of people I'm sure where that's really resonating with them as um, you know, a mindset or a thought process that they've considered and said, well, maybe I need to be, um, I don't know, a bit more bolshy or stronger or a bit more kind of dominant in order to be seen. Are there any other advice or moments that you've had where you would go as a woman, I would really say this to you, that's not necessary or maybe, you know, hold clear on being true to yourself in this way that has worked yeah. for you? So I, you know, for me, I think, you know, the qualities that a woman, a woman brings to the the business environment, compassion, empathy, inclusion, those kinds of things, that, that's the balance between women and men that you know, is really, really important to, I believe, the success of a, a company. And so as a female, you should embrace those skills. It's okay. The, one of the, the great traits of a leader is, is vulnerability. And women show vulnerability more. And, and I think there are a lot of women who are afraid to show that because I think it's a sign of weakness. But it's one of our great qualities. And so to be able to show that, embrace it, bring it to life, use it as an example. Uh, I think that those of you who are listening today that feel that you have to hide it because it's a sign of weakness, stop, right? Don't do that. And I think on the other side of that is for where I think we go wrong as women, and this is true, I think for all the candidates that apply for jobs every single day, there's a part of us who still look at a job spec and go, hmm, I only meet... 92% of those requirements, I'm not going to apply for that job. And, and men, you know, meet 50% of the requirements and they go, that's good enough. I'm applying for the job. And (laughs) so then you ask yourselves why we're not getting the jobs. And so I would, I would ask women to just embrace more confidence, right. And get out there and make known what they want. Uh, I think you have to be super vocal about what you want, but don't give up on the qualities, right. That, that make you who you are. I love that. That's great advice. I recently had a call with one of the head data analysts from Fathom, which is a workforce planning technology. And he shared many very interesting stats about the future of work. But one that struck with me, and that I still think about to this day, is how women will be disproportionately disadvantaged from automation. And I believe it's 58% of at-risk workers are women. What is your best advice to women listening as far as how do you future-proof your career to ensure that you can thrive with this imminent disruption? So I think there's a few things, Wes, when I think about, you know, women's careers and, and even particularly right now during COVID times is not to take a step backwards, right, when we're in crisis. I think the first thing we do as women is go, okay, I have to take care of my family. Um, I, you know, how am I going to homeschool kids? I mean, my daughters are going through this. They have jobs, they have small children, um, you know, all the things that, uh, that's their, 
responsibility. And I think your first inclination is to take a step back and care for your family. So I, you know, I, I think we can't make that mistake, right? That caring for your family, if you've got a partner, that's great. That should hopefully be equal, but also you've got to, got to ask for help. And I think right now, if I could say one thing to all of the employees and particularly the women of Ronstad is ask for help. Uh, we want to provide the flexibility necessary, but your peers and colleagues and your managers are prepared to help you as well. Uh, and I think this, this could be one of the first great recessions for women directly impacted. And if we don't ask for help and if we don't, you know, make sure our guilt gets the best of us, uh, we, we will, will prevail here. And I think there's also great opportunity coming outside of the crisis, Wes, to engage and embrace technology. And this is also the chance for women then to raise their hand and say, okay, things are going to move quicker, right, in this space coming out of the crisis. And then you got to raise, this is time to raise your hand and say, you know, I want to learn something new, put me in coach, right? Uh, I'll be the first one to sign up for this pilot to use this new tech and, in, and and don't don't let the current crisis and your and your current situation take you away from learning something new around uh, around technology because these will be the skills we need in the future. What is your for the forty thousand people who are listening? <laughs> what is your best career advice? Take a chance, take a risk. I think that could be the you know I've probably lots of different things, but if I was going to give one point, I would say don't be don't be afraid to to take a chance, run, run a project. Uh, there's so many different ways to show your skills and experience now, Wes. I think people, and you probably know this better than anyone, you know, people, you know, today, these new agile environments, these are one of the best ways to show off your skills. You don't have to wait for the next job anymore. You know, you used to be, you know, like my dad, you know, worked for years and he would just, you know, wait for the next promotion, the next job. You don't have to do that anymore. You can just raise your hand and go, boss, I want the next next project, right? I want to lead a project or I want to work on a project. I want to be part of a team of people that are trying something new. Um, and so you, you, you don't have to do your job the same way you always have, right? Which is, this is what I do and this is what I work on. The, the, the whole point of being a more agile organization is giving people those opportunities. But, you know, if you're waiting for someone to come tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, Wes, do you want to go work on this project? Hey, well, maybe they do to you, Wes, because you're the most popular <laughs> I was guy say, is that in an offer, company Rebecca? right now. <laughs> you are the most popular person in the company right now. But aside from Wes, everyone, do not wait for someone to come tap you on the shoulder and say, do you want to be on this dynamic team or you want to lead a project? You need to go back to your managers and you need to say, hey, I want to lead the next project you have, or I want to be on the next team that you're putting together to try something new. You've got to get out there and say you want to be a part of it. So with that, I'm really curious. Um, we have asked, or we will be asking all of our leaders to share with the audience their favorite or maybe like just a business book that really kind of resonated with them. And so I'm really interested to hear which book it is you wanted to share with us today. I wanted to share Good to Great, still out there, even though uh, it's probably maybe 12 or 13 years old now. 
Um, but it certainly is one of my favorite books because it's all about surrounding yourself with the right people, right? And what principles you want to share uh, with the, with those folks. And there's one part of that book that I really like, and, it, and maybe it's a saying that Wes and Megan, we, maybe we could introduce it into, back into the company. It's called Rinsing the Cottage Cheese. So, <laughs> Rin- can I get that clear? Rinsing the Cottage Cheese? Rinsing the Cottage Cheese, <laughs> exactly. This is one of my favorite books as well, and I do not remember that. Yeah, maybe it's a cookbook you're referring to. It's it's uh, it's about um, super discipline. So you know, clearly, in there's like surround yourself with good people. You know, being humble, facing the brutal facts. That's one of the ones I love as well because it's far better to just face the really bad problem at hand because then you can deal with it, right? Or if you're not going to deal with it, then you know exactly what you're not dealing with. But rinsing the Rinsing the cottage cheese is all around um, super discipline, which is, you know, there was a, a gentleman they referenced in the book. He was an athlete and I can't remember his name now, but he won the Ironman six times and he would rinse the fat out of his cottage cheese because that was just, he wanted the protein of the cottage cheese, but it was that, you know, was getting rid of the fat. And, you know, I don't know if it really helped him win six Ironmans, but it was around the discipline right? Of no matter what, I'm going to rinse the cottage cheese because I'm going to get rid of the fat. So I hope that has always stuck with me, rinsing the cottage cheese. It just, you know, being super disciplined about what you were doing and accomplish something. Like for me, it has always been growing faster than the competitors, right? Like, you know, you know, working on source, right. For as many years as I did with the team, there, they will tell you, like, I was relentless about winning a deal. I never, if I heard about losing the deal. I, you know, they were take they were the person who drew the short straw would have to call and tell me that they lost, we lost, um, because I wanted to grow faster than the comp- competition. And that was, you know, my rinsing the cottage cheese. We were going to grow faster. I was very, very disciplined um, about our growth strategy. Um, so anyway, that's, that's why I've chosen, that's why I would choose that book. It's still a very tweetable moment. Today. A tweetable moment, <laughs> hashtag rinse the cottage cheese. Rinse the cottage cheese, exactly. I feel like we might need to follow that with the hashtag good to great. Otherwise, potentially people might not get the reference. <laughs> they, might, they might really go home and rinse the cottage in. cheese. So not to say that it's a contest, but of course we love a good contest at Ronstadt. We're asking the leaders to come up with a 30-second pitch on why people should read this book as opposed to the 12 others that will be mentioned during the podcast series. So we're going to ask you to put your best salesperson hat on and give us your pitch. Okay. Well, look, Good good to Great is not one of those newer, unproven books. I would say Good to Great has been around, you know, many years and there's many strong leaders that are in the marketplace that have adopted the principles. And there's also a variety of companies, many of them who are our customers, like Bank of America and Walmart, who've adapted the principles of Good to Great and have expanded their companies Uh, and their people as a result. So I think those are some good examples for me, Wes. Excellent. Great. Perfect. Thank you. Excellent. Well, um, 
obviously it's my favorite book. I know that Wes waved it in the background as well. He was very excited then with uh, his his copy of Good to Great. Unfortunately, mine's a, a couple of hundred miles away, so I can't grab mine. But I'll be excited to see how many people now go out and pick up what I agree with you, what's a really great and timeless book in terms of the, the thoughts and the methodologies behind it. Thank All you so right. much for being with us, Rebecca. Really appreciate Thank it. Thank you. I had a lot of fun, you guys. Thanks for breaking up my day and for the great conversation. And I wish you the best of luck with the podcast. I'll be a, your first subscriber. Have a great day. <laughs> Thanks, Rebecca. Bye. Bye-bye. Good to Great is one of my favorite books, as you'll probably have heard in the podcast, and presents the findings of a five-year study by Jim Collins and his research team into what makes some companies great and others just good. The book really explains a number of key concepts identified during their research of how to achieve greatness and then ensure continued success of your business. If you're feeling as fired up about your career as we are and looking for more Career Talk episodes, along with additional information on the book's reference during the show, please go to Society and follow us at hashtag Career Talks. What are you waiting for? Start planning your career today. Human Forward. Randstad.